Braves, Bulldogs, Falcons, Yellow Jackets, Hawks, Eagles. From the heart of Georgia, it's the Bill Shank Show. Happy Monday and welcome to our broadcast. I'm Bill Shanks. Thank you very much for joining us. It is a brand new week of sports talk. And we are getting closer to baseball season. This Saturday, we will have Atlanta Braves baseball right here on the Superstations, which is a great thing. The games will start Saturday. Awesome. Cannot wait. We'll talk a little baseball in this hour. A little football as well. Coaching change at UGA for the Bulldogs that we now have to wonder about. And, of course, basketball as well. <clears throat> a lot of basketball to talk about. This is, what, this is the last week of the, the crappy in-between what the hell is going to happen in sports today period that we're in. It, it used to be a, long, a longer period of time because the Super Bowl used to be in late January. Now the Super Bowl this year was on February the 11th, so... It's really two weeks. It used to be about three or four weeks. The whole month of February used to be, wow, there's only NBA and NHL crap going on. There's nothing else going on. Yeah, and the start of spring training, of course, but no games. When the games start, we'll be able to look at box scores and see how so-and-so's doing and, and what's going on with the fifth starters competition and things like that. But for the most part, February is, uh, all right, golf's getting going. The Daytona 500's getting going. That's even late this year. Daytona 500 and the NBA All-Star break used to be around the first weekend in February. Now, of course, the NBA All-Star game was yesterday, scheduled on the same day as the Daytona 500. Daytona 500, of course, rescheduled for today because of the bad weather down in Florida. But so this is not, you know, the best week of the sports year. It's not the week in July when the all-star game is going on and uh there's like no games at all of course hey if we handled the pandemic and didn't have any games i think we can handle that don't you think but anyway we'll muster through we're going to start with the nba all-star our all-star game and i know a lot of you're going to say i don't want to really talk about the nba all-star game i don't want to listen to someone talk about the nba all-star game because i don't care about the nba all-star game and the sad part is the players have given you reason to say that if you are now i hope you're not because i want you to listen to what i have to say and and i i have a I am tying this into the state of Georgia, and you'll see how here in a minute. Because when I was doing my rundown, I'm like, okay, NBA All-Star game and an embarrassment. And then I'll segue into how college basketball in the state of Georgia is also an embarrassment in just a few moments. But it is worth talking about the NBA All-Star game because of how it used to be and how it is now. And, you know, I, I realize that sometimes on this show I sound like the old man on the on the lawn. You know, Clint Eastwood on the front porch ready to shoot somebody. I mean, I am 53 and a half, although I still think I'm about 44. But the, the calendar tells me I'll be 54 on March 13th, so whatever. But when I was a kid growing up, the All-Star games were fun. All of them. NBA All-Star game. I remember 
watching the NBA All-Star game with a bunch of buddies of mine. Um, of course, the baseball All-Star game was awesome back in the day. Awesome. Of course, there weren't a thousand things to do. You know, we would come in from playing ball and, and go watch the All-Star game in mid-July. That's kind of how it was. And the Pro Bowl was even something that people watched because that was your last bit of football for several months. And you you wanted to catch a little bit of a glimpse of it before it was over with. And so I, I, I think that was probably the least popular of the three at the time, but still it was something that people watched more than they do today. I, I, I don't, what do they play the All-Pro or Pro Bowl with now? Nerf footballs? I mean, I have no clue. I really don't. I don't care. Because they've made that irrelevant. Play, and, and this is the player's fault. It's totally the player's fault. Last night, the Eastern Conference won 211 to 186. Let me repeat that one more time. 211 to 186. You had... Um, Damon Lillard with 39 points. Tyrese Halliburton, man, he's a good player. A lot, 13 teams passed on him. And then the team that drafted him traded him away to Indianapolis, which was Indiana, which was stupid. I mean, there he's good. 32 points for him. Um, Brown from Boston. Jalil, uh, Jalen Brown, rather. Jalil. Jalen Brown, 36 points. Trey Young only had five points. Yeah, the few, well, no, Bam Adebayo only had three. Uh, Trey only had five points. He was one for four from three-point territory, two for six overall, three rebounds, seven assists, and five points. Western Conference was led by Cat Carl Anthony Towns with 50. He was 23 from 35 from the field. <laughs> A big man shot the ball 35 times. He shot the ball twice as much as anyone else on the Western Conference side. How about that? He was 23 for 35. The next most shots by one player was Seth Curry with 17. He was 6 for 17. Carl Anthony Towns, 23 for 35. I mean, he had 50, so he did pretty well. 4 for 13 from three-point territory. But let me tell you what they did. And, and Somebody on Twitter, let me find this. It was kind of funny on Twitter. Someone said when I made a little comment about it. Someone on Twitter uh, said, um, at, oh, it's Marshmutt. Marshmutt, who says he's going to call the show soon. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, thanks again for watching so that I don't have to. Well, I did watch the first half, Marshmutt, and I quickly turned it off. I'm like, I'm not watching this crap. I watched uh, All in the Family, and then I watched... Um, the Dick Van Dyke show, I believe. I watched something. I was falling asleep. I was bored. But the first, let me tell you what the first half was. First half, well, the first quarter, the East led 53 to 47. 100 points in the first 12 minutes of the game. 100. 100. Then the East outscored the West in the second period, 51 to 42. So it was 104 to 89 at the end of the first half. 104 to 89. 193 points. And so then it was finished up 211 to 186. I didn't watch the second half. But let me tell you what they did in the in the first half. 
They would run down the field, down, down the field, down the court, and somebody would get on each side, each corner of, of, of the court for a three-point shot and wait until they got thrown the ball and heave it up. And look, Damon Lillard was making a lot of shots. Evidently, so did Carl Anthony Towns. I saw Carl Anthony Towns do some things, but my God, I didn't know he had 50. But I mean, sure, yeah. I mean, they were, they were just shooting the ball. There's no offense, certainly no defense. And it was ridiculous. Before the game, Larry Bird said, uh, I, I sir, certainly hope the players that are playing tonight try hard and play to win. And they weren't. They were not. It was a it was a joke. The commissioner, Adam Silver, embarrassed. He was embarrassed. Everybody on TV, or not everybody, but a lot of the people on TV who don't care about, you know, what they say, like Charles Barkley, it was like, this is ridiculous. Ridiculous. And then on, here, here's the most ridiculous thing. I, I want to find this because I saw this not too long ago. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And it was a headline from ESPN. Let me go to the NBA part. Uh, the headline from ESPN, um, no incentive for players to care about the All-Star game. This is from Brian Winhorst. No incentive. So uh, does that mean, and I, and I don't know what he means, are they wanting to be paid for the All-Star game? We won't, we, we'll, we'll pay you so you'll care. And those guys back 40 years ago, 30 years ago, I don't think they had a problem with that. I don't remember the All-Star game that I watched in person in Atlanta 22 years ago having that kind of disgraced mantra of, <laughs> well, they just don't care. But if you watch them, they just they don't care. They didn't play any basketball. They were shooting the ball. Now, I, we'll see what the ratings are on the national broadcast for TNT to see if people – Gave a damn, but I I bet you money that if they do split the if they do split the ratings up first half second half I bet you the fall off from the first half to the second half was drastic. I bet you a lot of people like me just turned the crap off at halftime. Like hell no, I'm not watching this. Got to be something else on TV on Sunday night. And there's plenty of things for people to do. That's why the the All-Star Games, you know, when I was watching the All-Star Games, it was a big deal in the summer back 30, 40 years ago. I mean, it was a big deal. There wasn't 100 things to do. There wasn't YouTube. There wasn't Twitter. You couldn't sit with the – I mean, because we all know we're obsessed. I'm obsessed. I'm, I'm addicted to my cell phone. I admit it. And I try not to do it in the car. I do. I try not to do it in the car, but, I mean, everybody is doing it in the car. Cops, if you're out there, God bless you, number one. Um, cops' lives matter. But you know what? Uh, Y'all need to start arresting people who are going slow in the left lane who have their freaking phone in their hand. I at least try to fake it once in a while, but, damn, there's some people, they don't even care. They just got their phone. I mean, so uh, the I went off on a little shanks tangent there, but... People got a lot of things to do. They could. They have other options to be entertained. By the way, I went to dinner last night. And, of course, you know, since I do not have children, I love to tell you how to raise your children. I raise my dogs and probably raise my dogs better than some people raise their children. 
But I was at dinner last night, and I saw a couple of people, a man and a wife, a uh, husband and a wife, I guess, and uh, their girl, their daughter, probably 12, 13, did not take her headset off, did not take her face out of the iPad or whatever it was the whole damn time at dinner. I don't even think she ate. She had her headsets on. Do you know how hard I would have been hit if I had been at dinner in 1982 and had my headsets on listening to Rock 103 and Waycross? I'd have been slung up by the damn wall because that's what happened back in 1982. We weren't, I'm, I'm really getting off on tangents today, am I not? But I'd love to tell you how to raise your children. And if you're raising your children with a damn tablet in their hand 24-7 to shut them up and keep them out of your way, you probably shouldn't have, you probably should have used better con, uh, birth control. <clears throat> probably shouldn't have had kids, but anyway. But we do have a lot of things to do. We have a lot of things to keep us occupied. We have iPads. We have iPhones. We have video games. We, we certainly don't talk anymore. But, we, you know, th- there, there's more options now to where if something is not grabbing our attention, we're going to not watch it. <laughs> and that's why the All-Star games have just become. But the bad thing is these players don't care. They don't care. And then we read that they don't have incentive to do well in the All-Star game. Well, I mean, they did well. I mean, you can't say Carl Anthony Towns uh, and Damon Leonard didn't do well. They scored points. But, I mean, it was the kind of – you had to watch to understand what I'm talking about. Maybe somebody listening to the show watch what I'm talking about and will relate to my comments here because it was – the effort was piss poor. Did you hear how Rick Pitino went off on his team at St. John's last night after they had a really bad game and talked about their effort? Uh, the effort last night, even though there were 400 points or whatever the heck it was scored, it was almost 400 points. It was awful. It was awful. Now, I'm not saying they didn't want to score a bunch of points, but, I mean, this the, the effort of playing basketball. Because I want to tell you, if they think that just heaving up a bunch of shots from three-point territory is going to get people to watch their sport, they're in trouble. I don't think people, it's not, it was like, and somebody on TV said it was kind of like home run derby in the All-Star game, though. That wasn't good. So, anyway, it, it, it's a shame. It, it really is. And, and it's a shame that, that the NBA, and I think they're going to try to figure this out because they were embarrassed. I mean, it's kind of bad when the league's embarrassed about what they, what they presented to the public. And Adam Silver, he was embarrassed. He was, he was really, really bad off. So it'll, we'll see. We'll see what they, we'll see what they say uh, moving forward here, man. Because I'm telling you, and you old farts, you know, you'll remember the All Star Game used to be kind of fun. It did. It used to be baseball and basketball. It used to be fun. It used to be fun to watch. You know, now it's 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 really rough. So is basketball in the state of Georgia. I started writing down in my massive notes here today the records of of the top two teams in college basketball in the state of Georgia. Georgia and Georgia Tech. Well, Georgia has now lost six in a row. They are now 14-11 and 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 4-8 in the Southeastern Conference. They lost by six points to Florida on Saturday, and their tailspin continues. And it's um, it's a shame. They were fourteen and five 
overall and four and three in the conference before this losing streak started. And they uh, they just kind of disappear for stretches at a time now, and it's really rough. And Florida has beat them twice this year and, heck, I think like six or seven times in a row overall. Mike White cannot beat his former team. He is the coach, of course. Now Mike White's getting some, some pushback, and I, I hate that because Mike White has improved this program, but they are really in rough shape. And they cannot lose at Vanderbilt on – on Wednesday. They play Vanderbilt in Nashville, and that'll be at 8.30. You can hear it on the Superstations, except for Brunswick and Blackshear. Vanderbilt 7-18 and overall, 2-10 and in the SEC, so Georgia better not lose to Vanderbilt. And then they you know, have to play Auburn and all that. It's going to be rough. Georgia Tech beat Syracuse over the weekend, 65-60 to at home on Saturday. They're now 11-15, and 4-11 in the ACC. That win snapped a four-game losing streak the Jackets had. They will host Clemson. The Tigers are 17-8, 7-7 in the ACC. That will be on Wednesday at 7 o'clock in Atlanta. So I, I wondered, okay, so the, we just can't get these top two teams on track. So then I wanted to know, how are the other teams in the state of Georgia doing? Well, Mercer is 12-15. and 15, This is men's basketball now. Men's basketball. Mercer is twelve and fifteen with a five and nine record in the Southern Conference. Way to go, firing Bob Hoffman. That was stupid. Georgia Southern is five and twenty-two. Five and nine in the Sun Belt. Georgia State is twelve and fourteen. Six and eight in the Sun Belt. And Kennesaw State is fourteen and thirteen. They had a good year last year, not this year. Fourteen and thirteen overall, but five and eight in the Atlantic Sun Conference. So we've got um, of the two, uh, one, two, three, of the six teams I mentioned, Georgia, Georgia Tech, Mercer, Georgia Southern, Georgia State, Kennesaw State, two are over 500. One's one game over 500. The other's three games over 500, but they have lost six in a row. And so I asked this question, why in the world is basketball in this state of Georgia this damn bad? There may be some other programs. There's a lot of programs in the state. I'm not going to go through all of them. But I think those are probably the six top programs. Why in the world can there not be better basketball than what we see from those six programs? They've all had success in the past. But that's pitiful. I don't. I, I didn't count up the entire record of all six but it would be skewed because georgia southern is awful at a five and 22 mark that's really really rough but it, it's it's just incredible to me that a state that has really good basketball in a high school level and athletes out the wazoo cannot produce better basketball players that the teams in the state cannot get now georgia is of course georgia is, is a difficult thing i think to to discuss i mean I, I i hate that mike white is having this happen to his season because the season was so promising early on and and i you know i've said on the show almost being facetious that mike white is john wooden compared to tom crane because of how bad georgia was georgia was awful two years ago but you know there's no question that mike white has been criticized in the past for his teams kind of disappearing like this and it's and it's a problem um 
I will say that Georgia is doing better in recruiting, and we know the transfer portal is going to continue to have a, a real impact on what goes on in all these programs. Next year, Georgia is going to have uh, incoming freshman Asa Newell, who will be uh, probably the best prospect they've gotten since Anthony Edwards a few years ago for Coach Green. And then, of course, Dominic Wilkins' son, Jacob, is coming in the year after that. But they really didn't get a bounce from, from the Ant-Man, from Anthony Edwards, who was the number one high school player in the country and came for one year and then, of course, the number one overall player in the draft for for Minnesota and is an outstanding young NBA NBA talent. Uh, Georgia, and you know, I guess if they had, Tom Crean may still be the coach, but they, they did not get a bounce from having that kind of player. And it's great that Asa Newell's coming in. I mean, he's he's from Athens, and that, that, that's going to be really good. Jay, uh, Jacob Wilkins, of course, as I said, I mean, that that's a strong Georgia connection there with, with Dominique. But, man, alive, I just don't get it. I, I, I just, I mean, I guess some people could say, well, Bill, if they put more resources and they more had more NIL and they did this and they did that, there are things that could be done. But, golly, it's like all six programs. And, and uh, again, I hate to say Georgia's in, in here with them, but when you've lost six in a row in your record, I mean, they're not going to finish over 500 if they keep this up. That's just not going to happen. And that's a shame. They were off to such a good start, and now – it's the season's falling apart, and Kennesaw, as I said, only one game over 500, but under 500 in the in the conference. So it's really a shame that basketball in this state is not better. It really is. It, it's just it, it's um, amazing to me, and I, I hope it can get better because this, you know I mentioned earlier in the segment how you know this is kind of a, a, a in between time here. Well, it wouldn't be if we had good college basketball. If Georgia or Georgia Tech in particular, the two high-profile programs in this state, could truly have a successful program to where we were interested in a game like Georgia-Florida the other day. But I, I don't think many people were too confident that Georgia was going to beat Florida, considering what's gone on in the previous five games when they had lost. And now they've lost six in a row, and now it's like, well, again, can you salvage your season? I mean, are, are they in position where they may not, the Bulldogs may not even reach a postseason tournament? There's a lot of postseason tournaments. But if you're just a 500 team, I don't know how many postseason, not the NCAA, build a 68, or the, but is the NIT going to want a 500 Georgia team if that's all they can do? And if they fall below 500, it, I mean, now they're in jeopardy of not making a postseason tournament. And we thought, Several weeks back, well, at least if they don't go to the NCAA, maybe they'll go to the NIT, maybe one of the other terms. I don't know if they're going to go to anything now. And it's like, why can't and, – and it just presents to me a bigger question mark. And I know the first year for Stoudemire at Georgia Tech, you do have to kind of give him a little bit of a, of a, of a curve here. But, it, but it's still, it's like, why can't it be better? It's just amazing to me. It really is. It's always – this is not a new story. Right. I mean, I'm kind of recycling something. But when I see these records, it just brings it up again of like, why can't this team, or rather this state, produce better basketball? There are a lot of basketball fans in this in this state. And look, I was at one time a tremendous University of Georgia men's basketball fan. I lost interest. I have been here in Macon, living here in Macon. I have been 
uh, to many games at Hawkins Arena with Mercer that were unbelievably fun and entertaining and good. Bob Hoffman, the former coach, was a great friend of mine, and, and he knew that I just wasn't a big college basketball fan. It doesn't mean I wasn't entertained when I went to go watch the, the teams that he had had played there. But now it's like, God, can't somebody be good? And the bad thing is right now they can't. We'll take a break, come back, we'll switch to baseball. Plenty of college baseball to go over and a little Braves talk as well. Then football with Georgia losing another assistant coach. Thank you very much for being with us. I'm Bill Shanks, and you're listening to The Bill Shanks Show. All right, back on the program, Marsh Mutt. Y'all need to start giving me your area codes so I can do like Bill King. Kevin from Dublin on the 912. Was that a good Bill King? I don't know. Marsh Mutt says, when Hugh Durham was coaching... I thought we could do better than 18 or 22 wins a year and getting to the dance once every five years. I wanted us to dare to be great. It worked with Kirby, but aside from Tubby and, and Herrick, not so much in hoops. Well, Tubby was great. And I love Coach Dooley. God bless him. But, I mean, that Ron Zursa thing was just about killed me now, that, that thing. You go from Tubby to Ron Zursa. Lord, have mercy on my soul. And then Adams brings in his boy Herrick, and, you know, he was – you know, the players had to do tests like, uh, number one, how many points do you get for a three-pointer? A, one, B, two, C, three, D, none of the above. So, uh, you know, Georgia basketball just got off track after Tubby left for Kentucky, and nobody was going to complain about Tubby leaving for Kentucky. It was a push about a decade ago, but when Fox was starting to have some trouble, you know, well, let's bring Tubby back. And I don't know what happened to that. Because Tubby, of course, bounced around after Kentucky run him off. And uh, Tubby's great. My gosh. Tubby was just... If Tubby if Tubby Smith had not gotten the opportunity to go to Kentucky, who knows what would have happened in Georgia basketball. Because Tubby Smith was just a great, great coach. I mean, he... And I know a lot of people say, well, you know, he 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 inherited a lot from from Patino when Tubby went and took over for, for Rick in, in Lexington. But, man, I tell you, I just loved Tubby, and, and I was heartbroken when he left. But, again, you, you I mean, it was Kentucky. Like, okay, yeah, right, yeah, he's going to leave Georgia to go to Kentucky. Of course he is. But they've never been able to be good again. And, um, it's, you know, it's disappointing. Uh, J-Rad said, you know, it's frustrating. And it is, you know, you get your hopes up, you hope it's going to be better, and then, of course, they start 14-5, and five, and now they've lost six in a row. Like, come on now, couldn't you have won one of those games? And they're not getting blown out. It's not like two years ago. I mean, two years ago was awful. This is not the 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 deepest valley here for uh, – we're not in the, uh, you know, Grand Canyon of Georgia basketball where we're way down below. No, 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 no. We, that was two years ago. But this is disappointing, and, and you want it to be better. So, anyway, Georgia baseball is better, at least so far, under their new head coach, Wes Johnson. What a great beginning for the dogs. Now, I know it was UNC Asheville, and they may suck for all we know. I don't think we know the UNC Asheville roster to know if Georgia beat a great team. Doesn't matter. Georgia outscored the UNC Asheville team 38-7 over the weekend with a three-game sweep. 
And the big name was Slate Alford, who has a great name, Slate Alford. Well, he was the SEC Co-Player of the Week because he had 15 total bases, three home runs, nine RBI in the series with UNC Asheville. He is one of the transfers, one of the many transfers for new head coach Wes Johnson. He's from Mississippi State. I don't mind swiping the third baseman from Mississippi State. Pretty good. Georgia will now be at Georgia State on Tuesday at 3 o'clock. We will air that game tomorrow in tape delay at 7 with David and and Jeff. And uh, then they'll host Northern Kentucky this weekend in Athens. Can't wait for that. But a great start to Georgia baseball. Look, uh, I don't care if they were playing Marathon Old, Little Sisters of the Poor. Doesn't matter. For Wes Johnson, the new head coach, to get a three-game sweep in that fashion was a great thing for this program. It's a brand-new program. New coaches, a ton of new players. It was 26 new players, I believe they said. And um, But for them to do that well and to play that well, it's great. It really is. Georgia Tech swept Radford in Atlanta, outscoring them 34-14 to in that three-game series. They won 21-8 to on Friday in the opener. They were losing early on, remember. You may remember. Jackets will be at Georgia Southern on Tuesday at 6 o'clock in Statesboro. So all you Georgia Tech fans, head on over to Statesboro and root your Yellow Jackets on against the Eagles. The Eagles lost 2-3 or to Maryland over the weekend in Statesboro. So they're 1-2 on the young season. And after that game at home against Georgia Tech tomorrow, they'll go on the road to play Mississippi State in Starkville this weekend. Good luck to that. Mercer lost their season opener in 10 innings on Friday to Toledo, 5-4, to and then they won Saturday and Sunday's game. Mercer will play at Kennesaw State tomorrow at 5 before coming back to Ortho Georgia Park this weekend. Dose Monmouth over the weekend. There you go. So that's college baseball for you. Braves spring training. Well, Spencer Strider threw a live BP today, and, and our buddy Justin Toscano from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution was raving about what he saw. Of course, it's February 19th. It is not March 19th. It is not April 19th. First live appearance out there on the mound for Spencer Strider. I know that he struck out Austin Riley twice, which is not good for old Austin Riley. I mean, not easy for those kids to step in the box and say, here, you got to go hit Spencer Strider. But um, according to Justin Siscano, Spencer looked good. Now, <laughs> he evidently, and of course it's spring training, so we're going to hear stories like this from time to time. Oh, guess what's happening? Evidently today in that little 30-pitch appearance for Spencer Strider in live BP, he threw a couple of pitches that looked like a slider. He said afterwards were a different grip on the slider. And according to Justin Toscano, it looked like a curveball. Now, I'm laughing because if this cat starts throwing a curveball, I don't know who the heck's going to hit him. If it's a good curveball. Spencer, of course, rose a fastball that's very, very good. A chain, uh, rather a slider, which is very, very good. Strider slider, as old Killer Ken calls it. And then an occasional changeup. And I, I think he needs to throw the changeup more. Now, I'm not going to tell him that because, you know, he'll be mean to me. But, I mean, I really think 
that Spencer Strider's changeup is only going to get better when he throws it more. And I think it is not that bad of a pitch. And if he had a third pitch to go along with that fastball and that slider, Lord have mercy on my soul. And, and even if that slider does have a variation to make it a little bit different, a little bit different look, a little bit different spin, whatever it is, however you want to describe it, I mean, that could be unbelievable for that kid. Then he could throw a change up twice a game, and it won't matter what the hell he's doing because it's going to be lights out. So that that was a headline from today in reading the, the, the notes. And, uh, you know, everybody's going to be wanting to see what Max and Spencer do at the top of this rotation. I was surprised over the weekend. I read a Facebook post of a – of an article uh, that someone put up about the pitching staff. And I was really, really surprised that a lot of fans were very skeptical of this starting rotation. Now, maybe I'm just drinking the Kool-Aid here on February the 19th, thinking that it's going to be much better than those skeptics believe. But I really believe it's going to be much better than those skeptics believe. Matter of fact, I, I'm... I'm excited as hell about this Atlanta Braves starting rotation. I don't know if you've heard me say that or not so far, but I'm going to say it again a lot here in the next five weeks. I can't wait to see this starting rotation. Chris Sell, the only thing I have against Chris Sell is he needs to go to the Steakhouse restaurant in Hawkinsville. Chris, I used to think Max was the skinniest person I'd ever seen, and maybe Matt Ryan too, and I'm like, you know, they would probably do better if they just went and got us some fried chicken at Lewis Fowler Steakhouse Restaurant in Hawkinsville. Or if they went, you know, Coach's Corner in Savannah. Or somewhere like Carter's Fried Chicken in Blackshear. Let's take these boys to some South Georgia food and get them some weight on them. But Chris Sell, God, he's skinny. Lord have mercy on my soul. I mean, you look at him on the mound and he's like, I, I mean, I think he was listed at 6'6", 170. I hope he is that, but I mean, that boy needs to go to the damn old times or somewhere. We need to bring him to Hawkinsville and get him some chicken in him. And, you know, if he's one of those, here's the deal. If he's one of those kind of people in this world who can go to the steakhouse restaurant in Hawkinsville and fill up on the buffet and not gain any weight, then, you know, I just don't know if he's human. That's not fair. If someone can do that and, you know, because I'm telling you, if I'm given like a death sentence, like, I, all right, you got two weeks to live, I'm, I might go park my, my caboose down there in Hawkinsville and say, okay, well, I'm going to go out in a blaze of glory, baby, because I'm going to be eating me some fried chicken every damn night until the bell's rung. I mean, daggum. But, I mean, t- there was a picture of Max Freed and Chris Sale on the mound, side-by-side, over the weekend, I'm like, you two boys need to go get you some fried chicken. Really? Now, I'm not kidding. I mean, I understand being in shape and being athletic, but holy crap, y'all need a little bit of meat on your bones. God. I mean, you put me in between Max and Chris Sell and, like, Lewis on the other side, we're going to be looking like a bunch of before and after pictures here. Holy cow. Or after and before pictures. But um, I can't wait for this rotation. And I think it's great. Let everybody be skeptical. Let everybody think that Chris Sale can't come back. 
Let everybody think that Charlie Morton's old. You know the thing about Charlie Morton? And I know he got hurt late last year, and that sucked. That really hurt him. But Charlie Morton's had three very good years for the Atlanta Braves in the last three seasons. Very good. Got hurt in the playoffs. Couldn't help that in the World Series. Got hurt. Hell, what was he going to do? Game one, he got hurt. He pitched with a broken leg. What are you going to do? But he's been pretty durable the last couple of years in spite of the fact that he's been in his late 30s. Okay? And I'm not going to doubt Charlie until I have to. And I don't see no reason to feel that just because he's now the big 4-0, well, that means he's going to have a downturn. At some point he will, no question. I mean, he's he's in that age where we got to kind of look out for it a little bit more than you did when he was 35. But if he's been successful as an older pitcher the last three years, in particular for this for this organization, why does that mean he's just going to fall off this year? I don't buy that. You got to keep him healthy. But you know what? I, to me, the comments of well, you got to keep him healthy. You got you got to keep Charlie Morton healthy. You got to keep Aaron Aaron, Aaron Sale. You got to keep Chris Sale healthy. You got to keep Max Fried healthy. You got to keep. Tell me a pitcher in Major League Baseball that you don't have to keep healthy this season. And tell me the odds of perfecting the ability to keep them healthy with no interruptions in their season because of injury. That ain't, that ain't possible these days. That's just not possible. It's tough to keep these pitchers healthy in Major League Baseball. So, hey, Max Fried had 14 games pitched last year. That's not good. He had three problems, hamstring, shoulder strain, and then that damn blister that he needs to take a piss on. Okay, Chris Sale, 20 starts last year. Okay, all right, I get it. But what if, and here's the thing, sometimes a lot of people want to have like worst case scenarios in spring training. I get it. How about best case scenario? What if all four of these top starters, Max, Spencer, Charlie, and Chris Sale, throw at least 28 games, pitch, start, at least 28 games for the Braves this year. Hell, they're going to they're going to win 111 games. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. That could be incredible. So, anyway, I I'm I'm fine with the Braves rotation and I can't wait. I just wish that we could get those boys down to the Steakhouse restaurant in Hawkinsville. Finally, Braves will have eight games on TV starting with March 2nd on Bally Sports and the uh, the last four will be done by C.J. Nikowski, the new color commentator, and uh, Brandon Gauden. But the first four will be feeds from other teams, with the first one being March 2nd, which is next weekend. How about that? So eight spring training games on TV. We'll take a break, come back, a little football talk right after this. One more baseball note before we talk football. I don't know if you heard this today, but Anthony Rendon, who is a third baseman for the Los Angeles Angels, made a comment today. This is a job. I do this to make a living. My faith, my family comes first before this job. So if those things come before it, I'm leaving. And he said baseball's never been a priority for him. Now, look, I, I understand completely someone saying that my faith in my family comes first before my job. I think all of us believe that to a certain extent. I don't know how many of us all live that, but 
you know, sure, that should be our priority is what our faith is and, and what our family is and what we have as our family. But he is a baseball player that makes a fortune. He signed a seven-year contract for $245 million. We were talking in the first segment of this hour about NBA players not giving a damn and and not trying in the All-Star game, which is going to turn people off. Anthony Rendon's problem is he's already played four years for the Los Angeles Angels, and he's been awful. He's been awful. He has not played in more than 58 games in any of those four seasons. Of course, the first season was the COVID year where he played in 52 of 60. Then he's played in 58, 47, and 43. He has played in four years in 200 games for the Los Angeles Angels. And his numbers compared to what he did in his first seven years in Washington have been abysmal. I mean, horrible. He was a 290 hitter in Washington with the Nationals. He has hit 249 with the Los Angeles Angels. And he has three more years left on his contract. Each year, he will be paid $38,571,428 in each of the next three years. Each. Each of the next three years. So the last thing that a fan of the Angels needs to hear is for him to say, baseball's not been a priority for me. Now, I know, again, in context, I get it. But you have to say, look, I, I love my family. I have tremendous faith, whatever that faith may be. But I'm a baseball player, and I love being out here. To say that baseball's never been a priority to me when you're making that kind of money and you're not performing up to that level. I mean, it's been a abysmal. People are wondering why the Angels aren't signing more people to contracts. Probably because the owner is the one who signed Rendon to this ridiculous contract, and it has not worked out. Read today where Mike Trout's wanting the Angels to sign more free agents. Well, hell, uh, you know, Mike, I get it, but, I mean, the ones they did sign with Mr. Rendon didn't work out. I mean, that's not his fault, but that's pretty rough. It was very rough. So, anyway, uh, that was kind of eye-catching today for sure. Over the weekend, Georgia lost a football coach. Brian McClendon is leaving for the NFL, and and obviously that was a little bit of a surprise. No real word that that was coming, and um, he's going to be a wide receivers coach for Tampa Bay. And and hey, um, I'm not going to sit here and criticize anybody who changes jobs or wants to try the NFL. A lot of coaches in college football are really finding the the job to be different than what they originally signed up for. We talked last week about what was going on at Georgia State with Sean Elliott going to South Carolina. The, the Boston College head coach going to the Green Bay Packers. The head coach at UCLA, Chip Kelly, going to be the OC at, at Ohio State. And so, you know, this kind of turnover is interesting to me. And, uh, you know, Brian McClendon's a bulldog. And 
I think a lot of people were surprised by, like, oh, wow, he left his alma mater. But, you know, if he has an itch to go to the NFL, that's something that if the opportunity presents itself, they're going to scratch, and especially if they don't have to recruit. You know, that that used to be a mantra, like we said that a year ago about Todd Munkin. Oh, well, he's going to the Baltimore Ravens because, well, he doesn't want to recruit. Okay, but, you know, uh, one thing that I kind of ask now is name me a college coach that likes what's going on now to the point where they're saying, oh, yeah, I love to recruit. They don't only have to recruit people out in their area or their territory or their position. They have to recruit the players on their team, players they missed out on that may be ready to transfer from another team that signed they signed with instead of UGA or wherever they are. I mean, it's it, as we all know, it's crazy out there. It's a crazy environment for college football. So, you know, whatever Brian McClendon's – I mean, I'm sure he was highly paid. I don't know his salary off the top of my head. It doesn't matter. And if he's getting a dollar more, fine. But obviously, I always think when a, a college coach goes to the NFL, he just wants to scratch that itch. Whether he wants to be a head coach or not, I have no idea. But obviously, he wants to try it. And, you know, there, there's a different schedule in the NFL. There's a different – and not that they don't work hard. Oh, my gosh, they work very hard. But they don't have to go recruit free agent – wide receivers he's not going to be part of that process and that's inviting to a lot of people it really is it's, it's something that you you look at and you're like well yeah that's that's something that's very very interesting um so you know i i think we wish him well and we'll see what kirby smart does and a lot of people are wondering if he'll go after heinz ward who of course has expressed an interest in the past of being the wide receivers coach at the university of georgia Heinz Ward, one of the best athletes to ever play in red and black, and there's no question he is someone that if if Heinz is wanting the job and wants to really do it, then I think Kirby should talk to him. Depends on how comfortable Hines, uh, Kirby is with Heinz. I mean, they played together, obviously, so there's history there. But uh, every time the wide receiver coach comes open, we kind of wonder about Heinz Ward and if he'll get that opportunity. Heinz Ward, you know, First question we got to ask: Can he recruit? Uh, and that, but that's it, because you know, you know, Kirby. If he can't recruit, or if he's not known as a great recruiter, or whatever you want to say, then that's going to be a question mark. So, um, I think it would be cool as hell if Heinz Ward came back, because who better to recruit a player for University of Georgia than old number nineteen? But Kirby Smart's got to be comfortable with it, and it will be interesting to see if that's the direction he goes. But for now, we wish Brian McClendon well and see how he does in the NFL. You're listening to The Bill Shanks Show.